0: In this message, we look closely at the history of Israel as a people and nation, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, and what the scriptures foretell about the future of this nation. We also discuss the role of the kingdom, Israel, and the church, and how these are related. Be blessed. verses 5 and 6, the writer of Hebrews says, Let your conduct be without covetousness, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I want you to observe the train of thought there. In verse 5 he says, he himself has said something. He himself has said and the response in verse 6 is, so that we may boldly say. God has said something, and now we can boldly say. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we boldly say, God is my helper. And I will not fear what man can do to me. So you see how our saying should correspond with what he has So our saying does not necessarily have to be uh, uh, limited to the circumstances, although we recognize what's going on. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, with with our feelings, although we recognize what we feel. But our saying has to align itself or correspond to what he has said. What has he said? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. So we boldly say, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in. What has He said? He said, I am the Lord who heals you. He said, I will protect you. I will defend you. He said, I am, you know, the source of your life, your joy, everything. So whatever He has said, our saying should correspond with what the Lord has said. Amen? And that's the way God wants us to live and operate. He has said, so we boldly say. We boldly make our declaration here in accordance to what God has said. So let's stand up to our feet this morning as we make our declaration. I want, us, I want us to boldly say what God has said concerning us. Never mind the situation, never mind the circumstance, we're going to say what God has said. So let's lift our Bibles high up in the air. Say this out loud, bold and strong. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of his blessing. To many people, I believe his word. I receive his word, and I live by his word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Say hi to the person next to you, please. Give them your name. Introduce yourself, and you can be seated. All right. We're doing a series of messages, study on the end times, uh, where we have been, lo- uh, we started looking at scripture and prophecy and, uh, and seeing what the Bible says, what God has said concerning the times in which we live and the days that are, are up ahead of us. And uh, part of this end time prophecy, um, Bible prophecy, a lot of that has to do with Israel, the land, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, uh, and the and the Jewish people, and so this morning we're going to s- spend our entire time talking about Israel, the land and its people in Bible prophecy. It's very important for us uh, to understand that and put things in context. Um, uh, what we are doing is each sermon. The content for each sermon is available in our sermon notes. Uh, it will it is available on our church website, so you can go and get it from the church website, and. Uh, uh, but what we will be doing in our services here is doing an abbreviated, a short-form version of what's in the, it's, uh, what's in the sermon notes, right? So, since we just have about 45 minutes to an hour, uh, we'll be doing an abbreviated short version. But there's a lot more detail in each of these sermon notes. And uh, hopefully at some point we'll put all into a book and you can study it in further detail. But uh, we will be bringing the gist of... Um, uh, uh, these, these uh, studies here uh, in 45 minutes. So I definitely encourage you if you're interested uh, to take that sermon note and um, sermon notes for each of these sermons and study it further. So this morning we're going to talk about Israel. We're going to talk about the people, the land, what has happened, what prophecies have been fulfilled, and what has God spoken for uh, their future, uh, what has been foretold. So let's begin with history. Uh, let's talk about Abraham and the land uh, that was promised to his descendants. You know you and I are familiar with the story of Abraham with the call of Abraham right there in the book of Genesis uh, when uh, uh, Abraham's father grew up in a land called Ur uh, which was a region between the two rivers the uh, Tigris and Euphrates and then they relocated to a place called Haran which again was in the same region and while Abraham and, and, and Sarah were there God called them out of that place out of Haran and said, I want you to go to another land that I will show you. So, we are familiar with Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. The Lord God said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him, and Abraham was about 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God says, come out of this place, I'm going to give you our different lands. I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation. Those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed, is what God gave as a promise to this man. So Abraham goes, he begins to sort Jonah, he travels into the land that God shows him. This promise is repeated to his descendants, to Isaac, Jacob, and so on. And as we put all these scriptures together, we understand that basically God promised them the entire land right from the river Nile in Egypt all the way to the river Euphrates, the Mediterranean on the west. On the east, the the, the border is not very clear because he says, and the land of the Hittites. The Hittites at that time in Bible times lived across in Lebanon and, and parts of Syria. So all of that land actually is part of a land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. And now, as God continues to work with the with Abraham and his descendants, uh, we know that uh, He gave Abraham this covenant. But subsequently, He gave a covenant with Moses. We call it the Mosaic covenant or the Law. Then comes David. He gives David uh, uh, the Davidic covenant, saying uh, that your descendant will always sit on your throne. Uh, then comes uh, uh, after David comes. God gives the people of Israel the Messianic covenant, promising the Messiah. And promising that they will have a new heart. He will write his law upon their hearts. He'll take up the heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh. Meaning that there will be a change on the inside. So these are the covenants God gave to his people. The people of Israel. The other thing we observe over their history is he instituted seven important feasts. That they celebrate every year. At some point we will study these seven feasts. But each of these feasts actually points to Jesus Christ. And every year they began or they would keep these feasts at the appointed times during the course of the year, rem- reminding them of something that God has done for them, and all of them pointing towards Jesus. And so we, we look through history, we see Moses, Joshua brings him into the land of promise, uh, and, 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 and then so on. What I want to do right now is just trace the history from Abraham to our day, uh, giving some dates, and highlighting a few key important things that happened uh, in the course of their historical journey through time. Uh, there's a lot more detail in the sermon notes, but I'm just going to highlight some things uh, in their history. So about 2,000 BC is the covenant with Abraham. Now very important: Abraham came to Mount Moriah to offer Isaac. That is very, very important. And you know that you know, God gave him a covenant over there and, and, uh, uh, and, and a promise there. Later on, we see that the people is, uh, of Israel they come into, uh, they journey from Egypt into their land of promise. Uh, they go through the period of the judges and then come the kings. King David is a notable king, one of the foremost kings in Jerusalem. And it is very important to also remember that King David, he bought a piece of land on this hill on Mount of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, he bought a site, a bought piece of land. And on that land, he offered a sacrifice to God. And that very site, he prepared for Solomon to build the temple. That piece of land on Mount Moriah. So after David comes King Solomon. He builds this great grand temple uh, the way God wanted it to be built. And uh, they had their ceremonial uh, uh, worship and sacrifices taking place in the temple on this piece of land on Mount Moriah which David had purchased. Sometime around 960 BC Israel becomes divided. There are two kingdoms. So the northern kingdom and ten tribes come together to form the northern kingdom. Our uh, two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, formed the southern kingdom uh, uh, occupying Jerusalem. And shortly thereafter, less than 150 years after that, uh, these kingdoms fall apart and the people are dispersed, scattered out of their land. The first people who attack them are the Assyrians. They come, they attack the tribes on the east of Jordan uh, uh, and they conquer them. The Assyrians move into the northern kingdom conquered them, dispersed the Jewish people. They tried to attack the southern kingdom. They cannot. They don't succeed at that time. But right after the Assyrians come, the Babylonians led by King Nebuchadnezzar who attacks Jerusalem, plunders it, destroys it. And uh, the people are taken, uh, are sent into exile. The people are scattered out of their land. Nebuchadnezzar destroys the first temple that Solomon built. It's gone. Then we know about 539 BC, Cyrus, the Persian king, comes into power in the Middle East. He... Uh, tells the Jewish people to go back to their land. Only a few thousand people actually go back to Jerusalem. But it is during that time that Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. And this is referred to as the second temple. So first is Solomon's temple on the same site where David sacrificed, Abraham sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Zerubbabel comes, rebuilds the temple there. And uh, that's called, referred to as the second temple. That's around 450 B.C. Right after that, around 333 BC, there's Alexander the Great who conquers all of that part, that region. He even comes to India. But Alexander the Great introduced Greek language and Greek culture to that region. And that's why the New Testament and a lot of things that we have refer to Greek culture in the New Testament. After Alexander the Great came the Seleucid Empire. And uh, just to bring this to your attention, that one of the leaders, the rulers of the Seleucid Empire, a man named Antiochus IV, he comes into the second temple that was rebuilt by Zerubbabel, he comes in and he desecrates the whole temple. He is totally against the Jewish people. Tries to kill every, Jew, every Jewish person he can find. Tries to destroy every piece of uh, Jewish literature. Um, the Bible, uh, the, 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 the sacred writings of the Jews tries to destroy them. It is th- at that time that they are hidden in the caves. Uh, that, that, that the scriptures are actually hidden for us in the caves. Uh, Antiochus IV actually sacrifices a pig in the temple to desecrate the temple. This leads to a revolt by the Jewish people. Uh, it's referred to as uh, the revolt of the Maccabees, one of the most historic revolts by a weaker group of people that actually overthrew a more powerful ruler. And they overthrow uh, the Seleucid Empire. They establish, they reinstitute, they rededicate the temple. They reinstitute their, uh, their sacrifices. And till today, they celebrate that feast. It's a non-biblical feast. Of Hanukkah, uh, And they, they st- celebrate that till today to commemorate what happened in, in the overthrow uh, of uh, the Seleucid Empire by the Maccabees. On further down, we see that the Romans come in. They occupy this region. That's the time when Jesus is born. It's also the time when King Herod is in charge. And King Herod is a great builder. And so he comes in and he renovates this second temple. He extends the temple area and he renovates it. During his time. The, the same temple. Later on. Uh, just a few years after that. Not too long after that. In the AD 70. Titus. He comes in. Again the Roman uh, emperor. Uh, the Romans under Titus. They come in and they completely destroy this second temple. Which Zerubbabel had rebuilt. Which King Herod had extended. That temple is destroyed. Now shortly after the Roman Empire. The Muslims come into power on 622. A.D. uh, Islam is established and uh, in uh, around 638 A.D. the Muslims conquered Jerusalem. They take over Jerusalem. And in 691 A.D. it's a very important year because in that year the Muslims on the same temple mount which that area now is referred to as temple mount which had been destroyed. On that same area they erect two important buildings. They erect the dome of the rock And most people believe that it was erected on the exact site where the Holy of Holies was of Solomon's temple. And they also erect the Al-Qaza Mosque, Al-Aqsa Mosque on the same temple mount. This is in 691 A.D. Um, The crusades begin and in around 1099 A.D., Jerusalem is captured by the crusaders and uh, and shortly after that again, Jerusalem is recaptured by the Muslims. And for about 400 years, from 15, AD, Jerusalem, Palestine is all under the Turkish Empire, the Ottoman Empire for about 400 years. During that 400 years, something very important happens. In A- AD 1888 is the record of the first Aliyah, the first moving or the migration of the Jewish people back to their own homeland. So that began in 1888 when there was a stirring among the Jews saying, you know, we want to go back to our own homeland because of all the persecutions that they were facing in the nations where they were scattered. That's important because from then on there was a, there's a continuous movement, a recurring movement, a periodic movement of the Jewish people in 1904 records the second aliyah where a second wave of Jews moved from Russia and Poland back to Palestine. In 1909 was the first kibbutz or the settlements began to uh, be established uh, around Palestine, the Jewish settlements from 1909. World War I, we know, took place between 1914 to 1918. 1917 is a very important year because in that battle for Jerusalem, uh, which was led by the, uh, the British General, 1947, 1917. Okay, I was going so fast. My mind is going faster than I'm saying it. Okay, let me go slowly. Okay, 1917 uh, is an important year because, oh, in the Battle of Jerusalem because uh, the British General Edmund Allenby, he comes, uh, he conquers Jerusalem. Jerusalem is recaptured. And it is at that time that talks. Be- uh, the Ottoman Empire is overthrown. The Turks are overthrown. And the League of the Nations then put the entire area of Palestine under British mandate. British are overseeing that area. And uh, they are trying to give independence. They're trying to take care of both the Jews and the Arabs. Trying to make promises to both sides. Um, Hitler comes to power in, 19, in 1933. Uh, the Second World War happens, 39 to 45. Uh, six million Jews are killed in the, the concentration camps, uh, the Nazi concentration camps. So this begins a big move, a wave of, mo- uh, of Jewish people moving back uh, into the land of Pal- into their land, Palestine. 1947. The partition plan for Palestine is proposed and uh, the United Nations ad- ad- adopts it and, uh, and recommends that the British enforce that there. That fails and in 1948, Israel decides to declare itself as an independent state. So 14th May 1948 is a very important day because that's the day when uh, uh, people of Israel came together and they said we are declaring ourselves as an independent state. The British immediately move out. They don't agree. The United States and then USSR at that time, they support that. The British don't support it. They move out. The very next day on the 15th of May, several Arab nations join together and attack Israel. So you have the five Arab nations, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq. They all attack Israel. Now imagine, Israel has been born a baby nation. One day after they declare themselves as an independent state, they go to war with five Arab nations attacking them. The beautiful thing is, this little nation of Israel defeats all five of those Arab nations. And they are forced to sign a treaty of peace with Israel. 1948, they declared complete independence. And uh, uh, all of these five Arab uh, armies retreat. They signed a peace treaty uh, in, ni- in, 1949, in 1949. They signed a treaty of peace. Another important part in Israel's history is in 1967, six-day war. Uh, over 6 days Israel aggressively advances and recaptures much of territory that belonged to them both in the southern side and the north so they uh, capture the Golan Heights the Gaza Strip areas of Judea Samaria and very important during the 6 day war they actually recaptured the old city of Jerusalem including the Temple Mount they recapture all of that but in order to maintain peace with the Arabs the general of that day decides Uh, He, 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 for whatever reason, he didn't see that the importance of the Temple Mount in terms of a religious uh, perspective. He saw it more of a historical perspective. And so what he did was, he decided that the Temple Mount will continue under Muslim administration. He agreed that the Jews will not be allowed to come and offer prayers there. The closest that they can come to was the Western Wall that adjoined the Temple Mount. And that was all decided there at the end of the Six-Day War in 19. Sixty-seven. Another war is fought in 1973 called the Yom Kippur War. Egypt attacks, makes a surprise attack from the south. They get Syria to attack them from the north. Uh, Israel put both of these people down, demonstrates their superiority and, uh, and so on. Since that time, there have been many peace accords that have been proposed uh, trying to bring peace between Israel and mainly the Palestinians who occupy uh, parts of uh, 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 the West Bank and the Gaza. They tried a lot of peace accords that have been proposed. There was the one in 1978, the Camp David, uh, the 1997, the Oslo peace process. Uh, in 2000, as recent as 2003, uh, the U.S. proposed a roadmap to resolve the conflict, uh, having to do with the settlements, uh, the Jewish settlements, and uh, and so on. And so there's this ongoing struggle to establish peace in the Middle East. Now, I wanted to bring our attention to some very important thing. The first is this, that the regathering of the people of Israel from across the nations and the establishing of Israel as a nation was prophesied by the prophets in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They prophesied about it. They foretold that this will happen. For more than 2,500 years... None of this existed. The Jewish people were a dispersed people, scattered everywhere. They had their, no land, no identity of their own. But suddenly, starting with the, the movement that we mentioned in 1888, the people began to come together. And in one day, a nation was born. Now, listen to these Old Testament prophecies Isaiah 11, verse 12. I'm just reading some of them. Isaiah 11, 12. Isaiah prophesies He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel. And gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the... I'll do it. I'll gather them together. Ezekiel thirty-seven. There are many prophecies in Ezekiel, but I'll just read one of them. Then say, thirty-seven twenty-one. Then say, thus says the Lord: Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. No doubt. Look at what Isaiah said. Isaiah 66 verse 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Meaning this is something he has never seen before. Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Can something like this happen in one day? Shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion, Zion referring to God's people, as soon as Zion was in labor, they went uh, into this place you know this, this agitation, they came together, she gave birth to her in one day, May 14th Israel as a nation was born may 14 1948 So the regathering, the establishing of Israel as a nation was something that was foretold thousands of years before by the prophets, and it came together the way God said it let 's talk a little bit about Israel and their neighbors, and things that surround them. Jerusalem as a city is a very special place. We'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. God says that he, in Zechariah 2 verse 8, that Jerusalem is like the apple of his eye. Whoever touches Jerusalem, he says, you're touching the apple of mine, and you're poking my eye. Be careful. Don't do that. Jerusalem is a very special place. Biblically, Palestinians or oh, the Philistines are the ancient enemies of Israel. We know that in the Bible. The Arabic word for Philistine is Palestine, from which comes the English, English word for Palestinians so or Palestine. Gaza, the land that's being, that they're fighting over, is a land that was actually given to the tribe of Judah. The West Bank was, in the Bible times, Judea and Samaria. So these are regions that originally was occupied by the people of Israel. Israel has been surrounded by these Arab nations and several attempts have been made uh, to establish peace. A lot of the conflict, as you're aware, is, it takes place there in the region of the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. You'll see it up on the map there. A lot of the conflict happening there. But why is this all about? Or what are the primary reasons, the two main reasons? One has to do with a temple mount that is in the city of Jerusalem. The temple mount, as we've been trying to highlight, is very important to the Jewish people starting with Abraham. On Mount Moriah was where Abraham came to offer Isaac. King David offered sacrifice and bought that piece of land. The first temple, Solomon, built it there. It was destroyed by Zerubbabel and under Nehemiah, rebuilt that temple. The second temple was there. And we know the history that this temp- this whole temple mount was overtaken by the Muslims. And in 691, they built that dome of the rock that Golden-covered dome that you see right there where Solomon's Temple, the most, the Holy of Holies was, uh, is believed to have been. And on the side, the southern wall toward the southern part of the Temple Mount, they built the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the gray-colored building that you see there. And so while the Jewish people treasure this place and believe that it is their own, it is right now occupied or under Muslim jurisdiction. The Muslims also believe it to be a very important place because they believe right there where they've built the Dome of the Rock, uh, rock that's where they believe that the, the Prophet Muhammad was taken up to heaven to have his encounters. So they believe that to be very important to them. The only place that the Jewish people have access to to come and pray there is the Western Wall. It is a, a, one of the walls adjoining the Temple Mount. That's the only place that they can come and pray. They are not allowed to go up into the Temple Mount to pray. I mean, you can go as a tourist to see the place. But not to pray. Well, let's watch a very short clip from BBC that gives us that tries to describe to us the problem surrounding the Temple Mount. If we can display that right now, right? So, so the problem surrounding the Temple Mount is this: that a vast majority of the Jews still believe the Temple Mount is theirs, and our temple has to stand right there. Looking at it from a biblical perspective, both the Old Testament. And the New Testament indicates to us clearly that there has to be a temple in that place. When I say temple, meaning a Jewish temple. It has to be in that place. And we will explain that a a little later. What is interesting is this. That since 1987, so it's well close to 20 years now. There has been a group of Jews... Referred to as the Temple Institute. You can go online. You can check, uh, see what they're doing. They've spent now close to 20 years in thorough preparations to establish the temple right there. All the utensils, everything that is needed to restart the temple and all the ceremonial sacrifices. Every detail they have already prepared. More than 20,000 priests are ready. They can actually rebuild and start the temple in a matter of days. That's how ready they are. On the other hand, the Arabs have been doing different things. In uh, October of last year, October 20th, some of the Arab nations uh, proposed to the United Nations to designate the Western Wall also as a Muslim territory. Get the Jews out of there also. In November, 22nd November last year, the Iranian army had a mock drill that simulated the capture ...of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So they are prepared. If the Israelis go in and take over the Temple Mount... ...here's how we are going to go and take it back. And they actually had a full mock drill... ...of recapturing this mosque... ...and this whole Temple Mount area. So you find both sides are saying... ...look we are ready to to make it ours. We are ready to do what we want to do... ...with the Temple Mount. And so a lot of the tensions between Israel... And the Arab nations is around that. There have been lots of false alarms raised up by our different Arab leaders. Including Yazar Araf, Arafat during his time. There was one time when he sounded a false alarm saying the Jews are taking it. Taking the Temple Mount capturing it. And then, so there was a lot of attack and people died, lost their lives. There's a lot of tension all around this. The second reason for a lot of the tension has to do with the Jewish settlements. Jeremiah the prophet thousands of years ago prophesied in detail how the Jews will settle back in their land. He mentioned nine areas that they will settle in. We'll read that in Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 38 to 40. Behold, the days are coming. It's talking about a future time. Says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hannail to the corner gate. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill Garib. There it shall turn towards Goat the whole valley of the dead bodies and of ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, drawn to the corner of the horse gate and toward the east shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down anymore. So he's saying all of this is going to be rebuilt, this area. What is interesting is as Jeremiah identifies nine areas that are going to be resettled, the kibbutz or the settlements are going to happen there and in the exact sequence in which he gave it, In that same sequence, the settlements have been happening all around Jerusalem in Israel. And you can't beat that. And so you see the pictures of these settlements happening all around Jerusalem and across in different parts of Israel. And these settlements have now become a major issue. Especially the settlements that approach Gaza and the West Bank where the Palestinians are. They don't like it. As recent as two weeks before, a teenage girl was killed in her home by a Palestinian young man in the settlement area. So there is a lot of conflict about this, but the word has spoken. It will be done, and it will not be plucked up. That's what Jeremiah said. But there is a lot of pressure being put upon Israel through the the Quartet, the United Nations, EU, uh, 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 UK, and Russia, telling, trying to encourage you know Israel to back off, don't build so much, don't settle in these areas. But nothing is deterring the Israelis. They're continuing to make their settlements happen. So. These are two uh, important things in terms of prophecy, what's happening right before our eyes. We can see these things and we need to be aware uh, of what has been prophesied. I want to just talk a very little bit now about Jerusalem, uh, Israel, Zion, Jerusalem. let just talk about Jerusalem. Jerusalem as a city is very, very important to God. In the Bible, Jerusalem is called by many, many special names. And I'll just mention some of them to you. It's called the city of David, the city of God, the city of Judah, The city of joy, the city of peace, the city of praise, the city of righteousness, the city of the great king, the city of the Lord, uh, the holy city, the holy mountain, uh, the eternal city, the heavenly city, and many other very special names God gives to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is very important to God and to the Jewish people. Uh, Several reasons here, you'll see it up on your screen. It's a place of David's capital. Uh, It was a place where the Levites stayed. It was a place where the high priest stayed. It was a place where the feasts were observed. Uh, it was a place toward which the people of God prayed. Uh, it is a pe- the, the city which people, the God's people always loved. It was a home of Melchizedek, the ancient king. Uh, it was a place for the Ark of the Covenant. It was a place where David himself bought a piece of land and offered up a sacrifice to God. It was a place where the temple was built, as we've heard. It was a place from which the word of God would go forth. Uh, Coming into the New Testament, it was a place where the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the New Testament Testament also tells us it's the future capital of the Messiah, the eternal King. So I want to skip now and look at the future. What does the Bible say about the future of Israel, Jerusalem, and, and this nation? Here are some things. I'm just going to highlight these things. Uh, there's a lot of scripture we may not, we won't of course be able to read all of them but I want to highlight these things I'm skipping the parts that have to deal with the church we'll talk about the church in the Sundays ahead of us so what I'm saying here today is only having to deal with Israel first of all what has been foretold is that Jerusalem will become a, a troubled spot and all the nations are going to gather against Israel Zechariah says this in Zechariah 12 verse 2 3 he says behold I will make Jerusalem a a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it will happen in that day, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. Saying, look, Jerusalem is going to be a center of trouble. It's going to be a burdensome thing to the nations of the world and the nations are going to gather against it. The other thing that has been foretold is this, that in a time to come, there will be a world leader who will emerge, who will propose a peace plan for Israel, this peace treaty. The Bible calls him the Antichrist, and, and it's clear that he will come from one of those ten nations that formerly belonged to, the, uh, that belonged to the former Roman Empire. He's going to come and he's going to propose a peace plan uh, for Israel. Sometime just before he comes or soon after he comes, The temple has to be built on the temple mount. That is also clearly indicated in scripture. And I will just read, there are several verses here. I'll just read Daniel 9 and verse 27. Talking about this man, he says, he shall confirm a covenant. He will establish a peace treaty with many for one week, seven years. But in the middle of the week, that is after three and a half years, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So, what is the sacrifice and offering that's being referred to? It's talking about the, the ceremonial sacrifices that are taking place in the temple. So that means that at some point when he establishes this peace treaty, the temple has to be in place and the sacrifice and offering should resume in the temple. But after three and a half years, he will come in and stop it. He will stop the sacrifice and offering that's being, uh, uh, that's going on in this temple. And... Uh, and uh, Paul writes, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4, he says, Let no one by any means deceive you, for the day will not come unless the falling of it comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So this temple of God has to be in place. And he's going to come in, and he's going to proclaim himself as God. So it has been foretold. There's going to be this, false, uh, this peace treaty. A world leader is going to emerge. But the temple also has to be in place. There will be a resuming of these sacrifices. But he's going to come in the middle of that three and a half year period. And stop it and desecrate the temple. What also has been foretold for us is the great tribulation. Where all the nations of the earth are going to uh, undergo a time that has never been like it before in history. But during the time of the tribulation, as far as the, Jewish, uh, the nation of Israel is concerned... Two important things. Two, uh, two-thirds of the people of Israel will be cut off during this time. Uh, Zechariah 13 and verse 8. Uh, 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 Zechariah speaks of that. There's going to be great loss of lives in the land. But also we see in the book of Revelation chapter 7 verses 3 to 8. that about, There will be 144,000 Jews who will be divinely protected during this time of tribulation. So that's also um, made known to us. At the end of the great tribulation comes the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of the Lord. What will happen is this, that all the nations, at the end of the tribulation, all the nations will gather together against Jerusalem, against Israel, in the valley of Jezreel, which we we talked about last Sunday, for the battle of Armageddon. It is at this time that the Lord himself will descend from heaven. As Israel is experiencing uh, uh, this battle, God himself, will dis- the Lord Jesus himself will descend. He will descend right on the Mount of Olives, the Bible says. And the Mount of Olives will be split. And he's going to grant a great deliverance to the people of Israel. And the Bible records that at that time they will see, they will know who the Messiah is. And there will be a great mourning throughout the land. When they recognize that the very one whom they had rejected is the very one who is now delivering them. Are you with me so far? Just to read some of these scriptures here. In Joel chapter 3, Joel prophesied, he said, verse 1 and 2, For behold, I think it's not on your screen, but I'll just read it. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, verse 2, I will also gather all nations. I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, that is the valley of judgment, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. So what is Joel saying? I'm going to bring all of them there to this valley and I'm going to judge the nations because of the way they've been treating Israel and they have decided to divide up my land. So it is very likely that this peace treaty that will be proposed and tried to be enforced on Israel is to divide up the land that's what Joel said the reason I'm going to bring them there and judge them is because they will they are dividing up mine and you can look back and every peace plan that has been proposed has always been to say let the Palestinians have their own land and you guys take a smaller person and God says because of that very thing I'm going to judge you uh Zechariah records this in Zechariah 14 verses 1 to 4 I'm just reading some of these prophecies behold the day of the Lord is coming And your spoil will be divided in your midst. I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses rifled and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two From east to west Making a very large valley Half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north And half of it toward the south He's saying look The nations are gathering against Jerusalem Jerusalem is going to experience some some amount of defeat But God is going to step in And he's going to defend his own city and his own people He will come on the Mount of Olives So this has been foretold Concerning the people of Israel The last part as far as their future Is about the millennium what does the Bible say about the millennium? That when the Lord Jesus comes in and establishes th- his thousand-year rule on the earth, Jerusalem will be the world's capital. The Jesus will, and the King Mes- Jesus, the Messiah, along with the believers and his people, will reign from Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be the capital of the world. And uh, it will be the center of worship during the millennium. The nations will flow together towards Jerusalem to learn the ways of the Lord. There will also be a temple once again, the temple. We now call it the millennium, millennial temple. Ezekiel, the 40th chapter through chapter 48, talks about the temple, the millennial temple. And it talks about everything being reinstituted in the temple during the millennium. So they will continue with their entire ceremonial sacrifices, not in order to receive forgiveness of sins, because that has already been done on the cross. But all of this is a constant, continual reminder and pointing to Jesus Christ himself and the finished work. Of the cross. Israel will have the entirety of the land that has been promised to them, Ezekiel 47 and Isaiah 11 and Zechariah 10. All of this will be under their control. There are a couple of other prophecies that Isaiah has mentioned. And I'll just uh, make comment here. In Isaiah 19, Isaiah prophesied these, these things, which at this point almost seem impossible. In Isaiah 19, Isaiah said these three things. He said, Egypt will be saved. And an altar will be built in Egypt to the Lord. Today, it seems impossible, but it's there in the Bible. Secondly, he said, both Egypt and Syria will become friends with Israel. Today, it seems impossible, but it's there in Isaiah 19. And the third thing Isaiah said is, a highway will be built from Syria to Egypt. Which means it has to go through Israel. It seems impossible, but it's in the Bible. Now, when exactly will these things be fulfilled? Most likely, and we don't know for sure because he doesn't necessarily point the time element there in those prophecies. But it's most likely in the millennium. It could happen earlier. We should look for it. Are things changing? Or most likely in the millennium, these things will be fulfilled. But Isaiah has foretold that these three things will happen. Amen? So what should our response be as the church? We, God in his dealings with the people of Israel, has opened up the whole work which he began with Abraham The people of Israel, with the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, the birth of the the outpouring of the Spirit, he has opened up the door of the gospel to the entire world. You and I are part of this wonderful plan. We are part of the kingdom of God. And we experience Jesus, the Messiah, as our Lord and Savior. What should our response be or uh, uh, what should we do as far as Israel is concerned? And I just want to put this out before us. First of all, as as the church, as New Testament believers understand that God's plan is to bring the Jews and the Gentiles, make them one new man in Christ. That means there is neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, we're all one new creation, one new man. And that's what God is doing. But as the church, first of all, we must capture God's heart for Israel and the people. Don't ask questions. Amen. If God treasures them and calls them his people, if he says Jerusalem is a very important place to me. is a, a city that I have chosen. Okay God. you will go with it. <laughs> get God's heart. For whatever reason. That's his people. That's the land. That's the city. We get God's heart for his people. Secondly. As the church. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us to do that. Psalm 122 verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They will prosper who love you. God said I will bless those who bless you. So of course. We, we're not going to, you know, I don't think all of us are going to go to Jerusalem and start doing stuff there. But at least pray. Bless through prayer. We can bless Jerusalem through prayer. Bless the Jewish people of the nation of Israel through prayer. And most importantly, pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Paul, in his writings, you find his heart for the people. The apostle Paul was called by God as an apostle to the Gentiles. But Paul writes, he says, I am a debtor of the gospel. This is in Romans 1. He says, To the Jew first and then to the Greeks. All these called to minister to the Gentile world. He says, first, I want to get the gospel out to the Jew first, then the Gentiles. So our prayer must be saying, God, we want them to be saved. We want them to know the Messiah. We want them to come to know the truth. Pray for the salvation of the Jewish people. Amen. So we're going to take some time to pray. Let's stand to our feet, please. We'll call our worship team up. We're going to take a few moments this time. I know we've never done this as a church before. To pray for Israel, to pray for Jerusalem. I don't think. Uh, we may have done it maybe at some time during the secret place. But I don't think we've done it as a, on, a, on, a, on a Sunday morning service. But I want us to stand up here and just take a moment to pray. For Israel, just call our worship team up. Let's let's And just say, God, we're going to bless the people that you bless. We're going to bless the city that you've chosen. We're going to bless the land that you've chosen. They're going to go with your heart. And we're just going to take some time to pray for them. For them and then we will take some time just to worship and pray and minister as, as the Lord leads here uh, this morning. So let's just go ahead. I just want you to open your heart to the Lord right now and just say, God, we pray your blessing. We pray for the people, the Jewish people. We pray for Israel. We pray for Jerusalem as a city. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as your word says. And we pray you will bless your people, God. We pray that they will come to know Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah. So everybody, just go ahead and pray. Just lift your voice up. Just pray. Father, this morning, as a church, we just join together and we pray your blessing on Israel. We pray your blessing on the Jewish people. We pray your blessing, Father. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray that you bless them. We pray you will continue to prosper their land, continue to enlarge their territory. We pray for the providence of God, the protection of God upon them, the people, the land. And Father, most importantly, we pray for the salvation of of the Jewish people. We pray for the salvation of the land, the nation of Israel. That they will know Jesus, the Messiah, whom you have sent. We pray for a mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit again, Lord, upon Israel, upon Jerusalem, upon the Jewish people. We pray for a mighty outpouring, a mighty move of your Holy Spirit upon them. A great revival for the gospel, the message of Jesus to flood even their land, their nation God. We bless them. We pray for their peace. We pray for their well-being. In Jesus name. amen. 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 Let's take a few moments this morning just to worship the Lord. I want you to worship Him and say, God you're such a great God. You're the God who declares the end from the beginning. You're the God who is above time. You're the God who holds the nations like a drop in a bucket. You're God who is so powerful. And I also want to encourage your heart that, look, if God can do this for a nation, can He not do it for you? Can He not fulfill His purpose for you? Isn't he concerned about you? And yes, he is. So I want you to open up your heart and say, God, you're the God who fulfills prophecy. You're the God who fulfills promises. You're the God who will fulfill your plans and your purposes, even for my life, for oh God. As I'm in covenant with you through your son, Jesus, you will never let go of that. And you will fulfill your plans, your purposes for my life. I want you to take this time just personal, make it personal between you and God as you worship right now. Father, we just look to you as the God who is so mighty, who is so powerful, as the God who fulfills destiny, as the God who fulfills prophetic purposes, as the God who fulfills everything that he has ordained for our lives. that there is no power on earth, that there is no power from hell that can stop what you want fulfilled for our lives. No matter what the devil has done, no matter what the enemy has done against any of us, and no matter how worn or torn or weak or dismantled we may be, the plan of God and the purpose of God for our lives will be fulfilled because you are that kind of a God. You are that kind of a God who will fulfill purpose, who will fulfill destiny. And so, Lord God, even now, as we stand before you in your holy presence, Father, I'm praying that right now, Lord, for every person here, the plan, the purpose, the destiny you have for their lives will come forth. That even out of the ashes, even out of the rubble, even out of what has been, what has torn down, what has been laid to ruins, you will raise up destiny. You will raise up purpose. You will call forth what seems impossible in the name of Jesus. Father God, right now, the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit who brought something out of nothing, who brought light out of darkness, even when the earth was without form and void, when you spoke, O oh Lord, as the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and you spoke out of that void. Out of that nothingness, out of that darkness, you formed, shaped, created everything you desired. And Lord, I pray that the same Holy Spirit move, will breathe upon our lives right now. In the mighty name of Jesus. And what is without form, what is without void, what is under darkness, Lord, let that be removed and let the purpose of God come forth in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus and father even as you told Ezekiel Ezekiel son of man can these dry bones live and you said speak the word and as he spoke the spirit of the Lord moved upon them the bones joined together and a mighty army was raised Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus as I speak over your people and as the Holy Spirit moves, I pray that dry bones will live. That there will be resurrection. That there will be a coming forth of purpose, of destiny, of calling, of gifting, of grace, of purpose. In the name of Jesus. Lord, what you ordained for your people to do in the business world, let it come forth in Jesus' name. What you've ordained them, Lord, to do in the marketplace, let it come forth in the name of Jesus. What you've called them to do in the ministry, let it come forth in Jesus' name. That you are the God of purpose. That you are the God of destiny. I just sense and I believe that we are standing in this presence of God where God is just moving upon us as a people to raise up what has been torn down, to bring forth purpose, to bring forth destiny. And so as you engage with God right now, I want you to lay a hold of God's plan, God's purpose, God's destiny for you. And with such determination saying, God, nothing can take this away. It doesn't matter how things look like today. But there is a God in heaven who can do anything. Who can do all things. God's presence is here. His power is here. His anointing is here. I want you to take a hold of God's purpose for your life right now. Right now. Just get a hold of that. Say, God, this is your purpose. And I'm not going to give up, Lord. Because you're the God who rebuilds what's been ruined, what's been laid waste. You're the God who raises it up. You're the God who fulfills destiny. You're the God who fulf- fulfills purpose. And no power on earth, no power from hell can stop it. Thank you, oh God. Yeah God, I just feel that this is a moment where, where God's just calling us, inviting us to lay a hold of, of purpose. And maybe some of us have just wanted, we're willing to let go. Say, okay, doesn't matter. Let it go. Well, listen, I just feel we're in a moment where God is saying, get a tighter grip on it. Get a grip, get a tight. put a tighter grip on that purpose that I have for your life. Don't let it go. I'm the God who can do it for you. So if you came in this morning and saying, you know, it's okay. I'll settle for something else or a little. Listen, this morning, we're in a moment where God is saying, just get a tighter grip on your purpose on your destiny, what I've called you to do. It doesn't matter where it is. It could be a business. It could be a marketplace thing. It could be a ministry thing. Or it could be something else that God is speaking to you about. Get a hold on it. Get a grip on it. saying, okay, I'm not letting go. Because God is at work. God is at work. He's the God who works through time. He's a God who works through ways we can understand. The nations are like a drop in a bucket. He does whatever He pleases and He will fulfill whatever He pleases. Nothing is impossible to the Lord our God. let worship you, Father. We honor you, Jesus. We bless you. So Father, I just pray for every person here this morning who's just between them and you, God, laid their hands on a purpose that you have for their lives. And they'll go out strengthened. And they'll go out to fulfill that purpose. And they will see the work of God coming forth in their lives. They'll see if God's purpose is fulfilled. Thank you. Before we close this morning, I just want to give an invitation. If there's any person here you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life, we're talking about a great God, an awesome God, who's a powerful God. And He wants to come into your life. He wants to change you, forgive your sins, and make you a brand new person. He wants to bring you into His own family. So if there's any person here, you've never done that before, I'm going to lead you in a short prayer before we close. Could we just bow our heads, please? If you feel in your heart that you want to receive Jesus into your life, if you've never done that before, or if you want to rededicate your life and feel that you need to do that, just pray this with me, please. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Lord, forgive my sins. Lord, help me to live for you for the rest of my life. Help me to grow as a child of God. Help me to grow in you and into your purposes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody, you've prayed this prayer for the very first time. You've never done this before, but you prayed this prayer with me for the very first time this morning. If you don't mind, just put your hand up. Anybody here, you did this with me for the very first time. Wonderful. One. Anybody else? God bless you, young man. Another one. Two. Anybody else? Is there a third hand right way at the back? I see a third hand there. Four up in the balcony. Wonderful, wonderful. At least four hands. Just put your hand up and make sure, please make sure that one of our greeters comes to you and gives you a red bag. Uh, So just wave your hand in case you haven't got the red bag and we want to make sure you get it. They'll also give you a card that says decision card. So if you could write your name and your contact details, hand it right back to them. Uh, Somebody from the church office will get in touch with you. They'll tell you what to do next and how to grow in your faith. All right, let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. Oh, next Sunday we are sojourning back to our (laughs) second home. We'll be in Baldwin Boys High School. So next Sunday morning, please... Uh, don't come here we'll be in Bolan boys school so we'll meet there next Sunday is very important we're doing a complete overview of the end time so it's a, going to give you a panoramic view of all the events coming up so see you next Sunday God bless we trust that this message was a blessing to you we'd love to hear from you you can email us at contact at apcwo.org also visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources.
1: Thank you for listening and God bless you.